0: Hey there. Welcome to QPcast. I'm Tiffany Balducci, she, her pronouns. Are you hoping to learn more about unions or progressive movements? Then you're in the right spot.
1: We're the only podcast of our kind, combining union info, pop culture, and more, kicking ass for the working class one podcast at a time. Whether you're a member of QP, in a union, wish you were in a union, or just found us while browsing, you're definitely in the right place. I'm Brittany Nisbet, she, her pronouns.
2: And I'm Elise Le Lai, she, her pronouns. Today we'll be talking all about the CLC, the Canadian Labour Congress. We'll be discussing the history and structure of the Canadian Labour Congress, the most recent CLC convention, how conventions work, who was recently elected, and we have a special guest interview with Lily Chang, the newly elected Secretary-Treasurer of the CLC. So let's get into it. You're listening to QBcast episode number three, Spill in the Solidarity.
0: Before we get into today's episode, we want to acknowledge the colonialist history of Canada and its devastating impacts on Indigenous peoples and communities across Turtle Island. This July 1st, the Indigenous Council and CUPE Ontario chose to be in solidarity with Indigenous peoples and communities by not celebrating and instead reflecting on the ongoing genocide against First Nations, Métis, and Inuit
1: peoples. And while July 1st might be over now, our solidarity will forever continue as we amplify the demands of the Indigenous Council, which includes demanding that all levels of government commit to the terms of the Missing Children Research Project, which calls for an examination of the number and cause of deaths, illnesses, disappearances of children, the location of these burial sites, a review of all relevant church and government records, as well as information provided by the survivors, staff, or anybody
2: else. We also call on the Ford Conservatives to restart a cancelled plan to update provincial curriculum documents with Indigenous content, specifically concerning residential schools. Additionally, we also call on the federal government to respect the NDP motion passed by the legislature, demanding that the government stop fighting Indigenous children in the courts. Lastly, for folks looking for resources, we encourage you to check out Walking the Talk, a practical guide for reconciliation for CUPE locals. This guide can be found on the CUPE National website and in our show notes. We're going to kick off today's episode with a bit of a history lesson on the Canadian Labour Congress, also known as the CLC. The CLC was founded on April 23, 1956, which makes the CLC 65 years old. The CLC was created through a merger of two major Labour Congresses at the time, the Trades and Labour Congress of Canada and the Canadian Congress of Labour. The creation of the Canadian Labour Congress didn't come easy, and while I wasn't there, it definitely doesn't (laughs) sound like the process was all sunshine and rainbows because of varying political differences. Mm -hmm. However, both the Trades and Labour Congress of Canada and the Canadian Congress of Labour were able to put aside their differences, and they struck a joint committee to discuss a merger. After approximately two years of work was put in by the Trades and Labour Congress of Canada and the Canadian Congress of Labour, the Canadian Labour Congress was finally born. The CLC was created because both the Trades and Labour Congress of Canada and the Canadian Congress of Labour understood the importance of worker solidarity and the need for there to be a pledge against unions raiding one another. Hmm.
1: Thank you so much for that history lesson, Elise. So for people wondering what raiding is, um, a union raid is when a challenger or an outside union tries to take over the membership base of an existing union. And this goes against the the constitution of the CLC. So today, the CLC is the largest labor organization in the country, country, and it represents over 3.3 million workers, which spans across the entire country with workers from every industry imaginable. The CLC also brings together dozens of national and international unions, provincial and territorial federations of labor, including the Ontario Federation of Labor and approximately 130 community-based district labor councils as the voice of labor in the country the clc organizes campaigns provides union education advocates for workers rights and human rights and lobbies the federal government to advance progressive policy nationally and internationally
0: yeah and what's also really cool about the history of the clc is that it is a founding member of the ndp the new democratic ah. party yeah. back in 1958 Also, I wasn't around then either. Uh, (laughs) The Canadian Labor Congress. Nope, (laughs) definitely not. Uh, The Canadian Labor Congress and the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation, um, known as the CCF, which was the former Democratic Socialist Party, came together to discuss the formation of a new political party in Canada. And after three long years of deliberations, the two organizations were able to lay down the foundation, structure, policies, and more. And thus, the NDP was born.
1: So
3: part
0: of what makes NDP so unique is that labor organizations are built right into the structure of the NDP. So the CLC-affiliated district labor councils can send representatives to provincial and federal NDP conventions. Um, They can submit resolutions, vote, run for executive positions, and more. I'm president of Durham Region Labor Council, and we have a delegate on the Ontario Provincial Council of the NDP, for example
1: oh that's so cool that's definitely something that people might not realize and it's it's also important that we did do that history because like there's a lot more to it than we actually thought before i think like it's just not so surface level um with -hmm. just this is the clc so it's i'm really glad that we actually looked into the history of that so how is the clc made up now because there seems to be a really big executive board
2: in terms of governance, the CLC is governed by decisions that are made at the CLC convention every three years. And in between conventions, decisions are made and carried out by the Canadian Council. Many members of the Canadian Council were elected at the most recent CLC convention in June. This includes all of the CLC officers, including CLC President B. Brusk. CLC Secretary Treasurer Lily Chang, who is also a QP Local 79 member, who we'll be hearing from later on in the podcast. Woo. Yay. <laughs> and then lastly, the two CLC Executive Vice Presidents, Siobhan Vipend and Larry Russo. The CLC officers are employed on a full time basis with the CLC and run the day to day operations, including campaigns, communications, servicing, and directing and managing staff.
1: That is so busy um and then there's other members of the canadian council who were also elected in june and uh those folks are responsible for representing equity seekers the two vice presidents representing workers of color danielle Dubach and ainsworth spence one vice president representing the indigenous workers that's gloria lapine
2: From one Qubay, vice president
1: oh that's yeah. great <laughs> um And then there's also another vice president representing workers with disabilities. That's Arlene Phillips, Uh, another vice president representing lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, two-spirit and intersex workers. And that's Gina McKay, who is also another QP person. Um, And then another vice president representing young workers, who is Dina Capicilla. So she's... Yes, as I was gonna say, she's cute too. <laughs> I'm going through this, and I'm like, that's a lot. That's great. Uh, so, a huge congratulations to all the delegates elected at the CLC, and thank you to everyone who had the courage to put their name forward.
2: <laughs>
1: Yay! Yay! Awesome. Mm-hmm. I know, I'm so happy. It was yeah. really great. It was. Yeah. I, it was great. Yeah, I'm super
0: excited to see what the next three years um, actually I think it's two years because this convention was an off year because it got pushed back oh, because yeah. of the pandemic oh. so I think it's um, these are two year terms but I'm sure our listeners will uh, correct us if we're wrong um, <laughs> uh, but I'm excited to see what they bring uh, for our national labor movement and uh, the Canadian Council actually consists of even more people uh, oh. it's a big council yeah well they're running a lot of stuff at the CLC that's true so <laughs> the council also consists of vice presidents representing each of the unions affiliated to the CLC. So 10 vice president, presidents who are women uh, or women identified from the five largest private sector and five largest public sector unions, uh, including CUPE Ontario Secretary-Treasurer Candace Renick. And then, yay, yay, yeah. And then 12 (laughs) vice presidents who are the presidents of the provincial and territorial federations of labor. So in Ontario, this includes Patty Coates, Ontario Federation of Labor president. Um, And then one vice president representing retired workers. Uh, And there's also four VPs representing labor councils. Oh, really?
1: Yeah, I remember there was like a lot of people when they showed at the end, there was so many people that were being sworn in. I'm like, wow, this is a lot larger than I thought there was.
2: So typically the CLC has a convention every three three years, but it was postponed last year and just held this year as a virtual convention. I couldn't make it, but I think both you, Tiffany and Brittany were there, correct? Yeah, yeah. This was actually my first CLC Mm -hmm. and they're awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm still uh, there's still there's a lot to unpack from it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree. But maybe before we get to spill in the convention tea, uh, we can talk a bit about how can like union conventions work in general, because it's a little bit of inside baseball and for folks.
2: Good idea. I know it can be pretty confusing. And I know many members had questions about how you even get sent to a convention in the first place.
1: Yeah. And I just uh, I'm thankful that I was able to ask folks like, hey, what's this? What's going on here? What's going on there? So I definitely mm-hmm. am happy to explain it. So I know QP uh, locals, for example, it's different uh, when it comes to sending people to the QP Ontario and QP National Conventions. Um, I know their bylaws state how convention delegates are chosen, but it's way different for the CLC convention, isn't it? Oh,
0: yeah, it definitely is. And it's a different process depending on your affiliate, too. So how we do things in CUPE may be a little different uh, than for how, example, United Steelworkers send their delegates or the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. Uh I actually attended CLC as a Labor Council delegate. And we've Mm. talked about Labor Councils already, but maybe some people um, might not know that a Labor Council is a delegated body made up of union delegates of different union locals around a certain geographic area. And it's basically the local organization of the Canadian Labor Congress, um, which we're calling CLC throughout this podcast, at the regional level.
2: Okay. And how many people do labor councils get to send to the CLC convention again?
0: Yeah, so um, also I'm going to be using the word delegate sometimes. I know sometimes people are like, what are these union terms? Or, you know, <laughs> I guess we've heard delegate when, when you hear about people going to like the UN or something like that. But right. when you get sent to a convention, you're called a delegate. And um, as per the CLC constitution, there are actually five categories of delegates, local, affiliate, youth, federations and labor councils, and ex officio. Uh, federations and labor councils are entitled to a maximum of two delegates, plus what they call a youth delegate who is aged 30 or younger. These mm-hmm. delegates must be members in good standing of an affiliated or directly chartered local. Uh, basically, that means they need to have a union card that is recognized as in good standing with the CLC, which we can get into later how a union would be in bad standing with the CLC or removed from the CLC. Oh,
1: mm-hmm. Okay. So then in CUPE, we get our credentials through national, right?
0: Yeah. So local unions in Canada of affiliates and directly chartered local unions get one delegate for uh, 1,000 or fewer members and then one additional delegate for each additional 500 members or major fraction thereof is what the constitution says. And delegates must belong to the local they represent. uh, But there is an exception uh, for staff to also represent the union they work for. Oh,
2: Oh, so that would mean that QP, at around 700,000 members, would get quite a few credentials, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we're the biggest. <laughs> I'm not going to do yeah. the mental math. Yeah, I'm not going to do the mental math right here because I'll totally mess it up. But yeah, we get a lot. Uh, and QP communicates with locals ahead of the CLC convention about how to sign up and send delegates.
1: So there was a QP caucus at the last convention, and Mark Hancock, the pr- national president, um, said that we had over 600 delegates. Yeah,
0: that sounds right, uh, and we probably had room for actually a lot more credential-wise. Uh, so that's that's a little bit on how one would even get sent to convention, but there are also fees and that kind of thing to also consider, which many locals do when they're looking at their own conventions, uh, whether it be their own, uh, you know, union or federation of labor or national or provincial convention. Sometimes there are subsidies. For small locals to attend. And the CLC has a youth or young worker credential that we talked about earlier uh, set aside for each local too in order to encourage more involvement at the young worker level. But even these virtual conventions have costs associated to them that locals kind of consider when they're deciding how many delegates they'll send. Oh,
2: very true. Um, We actually do that also in QB Ontario with each local having access to an additional credential for an equity seeker. So it's good to see that these uh, barriers are being addressed.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a few weeks ago, I actually noticed that QP National Convention has that extra credential as well. So it can be a barrier to even get sent to a convention. Um, I know many rank and file members don't normally have access to these spaces for lots of reasons. Either they don't know how, their local automatically sends executive members, their local has a lottery and they're not drawn, just for a few examples.
0: Yeah, when union conventions are in person, Um, Typically, when you arrive on uh, a convention floor, they call it the convention floor. Um, It's like a a big, giant room full of people. Uh, You'll notice it doesn't necessarily represent the entire membership uh, just by looking around. Um, Also, something that happens in person is deciding where locals or affiliates get to sit on the convention floor because there's premium spots and not so premium spots. Oh, there sure yeah. is. So there's actually a draw for spots. Wow. Uh, and then you kind of find out okay, at Kipi National, like Ontario is so huge. So there's only yeah. so many places we fit. Um, and then when people find out where their spot is, they'll line up super early, like outside the convention doors to run in and save seats for their local. Like it's yeah, like, I may have
1: done that. Open the
0: door and people just run right in. Awesome. Uh, it is. I've, I've been there for sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm getting ahead of myself, though, because before a convention even happens, there is usually a convention call that comes out and lists all your deadlines for anything. And so an important deadline to note is when resolutions and constitutional amendments are due.
1: Yeah, and so for those of you who don't know, basically a convention is a policy setting body and it's the only opportunity to amend the Constitution or set policy in between the conventions.
0: Exactly. And I'm a huge fan of writing and submitting resolutions to conventions. It's one of my uh, nerdy passions, I guess.
1: I'll send um, and- any resolutions to you that you can yeah. help me. <laughs> yeah,
0: if anyone needs any help writing a resolution, I'm I'm happy to do so. And every local is different on how they submit resolutions, but what I'm used to is that um, they're debated at the local level or the labor council level uh, by the membership. So you know the executive will present. The resolutions they're suggesting get sent uh, and vote, and then the membership votes on whether or not to send it. Um, and then it could be signed off by the executive members of the local and sent in by the deadline. But sometimes there's issues with the deadline, or it's summertime, for example, and there aren't meetings yeah. happening. So mm-hmm. the, exec, the executive just makes the decision in some cases. And of course, this could be way different amongst affiliates and
2: locals. For sure. I know my local QP-1281, we often send uh, resolutions to conventions. We sent money to the QP Ontario convention, actually, and I think we also sent some to the CLC one as well. There are so many resolutions that are being sent in, though. How many actually get discussed at the convention itself?
0: Yeah, not many, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, Uh. Yeah, usually it's a big point of debate at these conventions um, that not enough time is spent actually debating resolutions, And that there's too much time being spent on what others would consider or some would consider as convention fluff. But the ironic thing is, is that um, people go (laughs) to complain about how we don't have enough time uh, to spend on resolutions, but then they're taking up time complaining. So it's, it's interesting. You're always running against the clock in a convention.
1: Right. Yeah. And like the debate is one of the most interest, interesting parts of the convention. I, uh, I always enjoy the debates. I, I also find that it's always a good opportunity for me to learn if I don't really know a whole lot about something that's being debated. Um, mm. And even in the virtual settings, there have been pro and con mics. So if you want to speak in favor of resolution, you just click on pro. And if you want to speak against the resolution, which many people do because they feel it just doesn't go far enough, then they'll <laughs> click on con. Uh, in person, we would normally just be lining up at a mic to speak and the mics would be set out all around the convention floor and they'd be numbered.
2: Oh, so I feel like knowing the right time to line up can also be a little overwhelming for some folks as well.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: Uh, Usually delegates don't even know the order of resolutions until the day of. So they organize themselves accordingly in a lineup based on when their resolution is hitting the floor. Uh, But in this virtual world, like Brittany said, you just have to click to speak when the resolution came up on the screen.
1: And Tiffany, you were so good at that. At CLC, you spoke spoke first on two different resolutions, and I loved how you joked about how you should go on Jeopardy. (laughs) Nice. Congratulations. (laughs)
0: Thanks. Yeah, it was cool. Um, It's one of my lifelong goals to be on Jeopardy, and I hear you need to be quick on the buzzer, so I'm (laughs) glad to see that I would be good at that.
2: (laughs) I also very recently heard of the term Mike Muffins before. I guess this wasn't the thing at the virtual convention then, right?
1: No, uh, no, there's no mic muffins. And I have been a mic muffin before uh, quite a few times. I guess I make (laughs) a good mic muffin. Who knows? Um, (laughs) A mic muffin is a term that I really don't know where the heck it started. uh, But it's a person who physically holds a place in line at a mic for somebody else who will speak to a resolution, but they need that mic held for them due to the other obligations that they have.
0: And just for you listeners out there, I'm so interested in where the term Mike Muffin actually came from. So please let us know if you know the history on (laughs) the term Mike Muffin. Such a cute Um, term, too. It is. It is. Some people find it. Uh, I've, I've heard uh, people go to the floor and complain about Mike Muffins. There's too many Mike Muffins. One time uh-huh. I heard someone say, when is the Mike Muffin cooked? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, people don't like it because it kind of blocks people from coming on sometimes. Um,
2: Fair. And
0: some people like it because it, it holds space for others. So it's, it's interesting. Mm. And and it's all strategic, right? All of this is strategic. Uh, There can also be a bit of strategy and organizing around making sure resolutions hit the floor, depending on what convention you attend. Um, I've actually been on resolutions committees before at various uh, different conventions. And what we did usually was meet before convention and decided what order the resolutions would actually hit the floor, uh, making sure we had an even amount from, uh, if it was national, for example, like an even amount of provinces, Uh, represented it or if it was Ontario and even amount of sectors and equity-seeking groups and subject matter. But when you're on the resolutions committee, you can be lobbied by locals or leaders to prioritize certain resolutions. So it's a lot of pressure, but it can also be fun. Mm.
2: Yeah. So as a delegate, if I wanted to know if a resolution is going to even be heard, I should figure out who's on the resolutions committee and ask them or tell them why it's important, right?
0: Yeah. So... Does anyone uh, – do either of you watch the reality TV show Big Brother?
2: Oh, yeah. I watch it a few episodes. Oh, I'm obsessed.
1: I, I'm yeah. obsessed. Matthew <laughs> and uh, Matthew and I, we, like, record it every single night that it's on, and if we can't get to it, like, we have this thing, so if he's working, I'll watch it, but I'll save the recording. We try to watch it together. Like, obsessed, obsessed. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same.
0: <clears throat> and I, I watch it, uh, yeah, a lot. <clears throat> it's actually – Big Brother 23 just started, so wow. uh, on that, yeah, so this experience of the resolutions committee in the past has kind of reminded me of Big Brother, and actually, the CLC's, like, laser aesthetic for this past virtual convention looks a lot like the Big Brother 23 promos, yes. too, so it <laughs> <does. some> random <laughs> aside, they had similar, similar looks, so, of course, um, You know, it's different depending on on what convention you're attending. They all have different processes. The NDP has a completely different uh, process for their convention as as others. So just keep Mm -hmm. this in mind. So I'm just kind of speaking vaguely here. But what reminded me of Big Brother was that there could be alliances formed when it comes to lobbying to get a resolution to hit the floor. And that there's strategy behind who you talk with how you present something uh, and and debate and that kind of thing, and some back channels that happen, um, deciding who should talk to who. It's definitely not straightforward. Um, oh. Expect the unexpected, to quote Big Interesting.
1: Mother. That's, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, huh. Hmm. <laughs> All right. So I'm just thinking, I'm like, maybe I should try. Maybe we'll teach. I'll see how good I'd be at Big Brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. i thought I'd be real-
0: Yeah. I always thought I'd be really good at Big Brother, um, but I'm not so sure. <laughs> uh-huh. <Yeah. laughs>
1: so then just like going back a little bit at the CLC's virtual convention, it kind of seemed like one of the affiliate strategy was just to go and call to question a lot to get through as many resolutions as possible. Is that something mm-hmm. yeah? And that's a strategy I've seen
0: utilized. Uh I think I've been going to conventions now for almost 10 years, like in various capacities. Wow. Oh. Yeah, since I was a young worker. <laughs> and uh that's definitely strategy. Um, when someone calls to question, that means they're calling the question on seizing debate. Uh, and when that happens, the chair typically asks delegates if they are in favor or against ceasing debate. And typically delegates vote to cease debate when the question is called. I almost almost every single time people are like, yep, just cease debate. And then you go right into the vote, which is either in favor or against the resolution or a constitutional amendment. It's also important to note that I believe in most organizations, a constitutional amendment needs at least two thirds majority to uh, vote to pass.
2: Okay. So going back to the de- debate for a minute, does the chair have to go in order of pro-con, pro-con?
1: Yes. I was wondering the exact same thing because that was a burning question I had from the last convention.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. Because at CLC, we saw chairs doing it differently, right? Yes. So, um some chairs you know, took a few pro speakers and then a con and then went back to pro. And my understanding is that it's the chair's discretion – Uh, But once again, listeners out there, let us know (laughs) if if you're, you know, really into rules of order uh, better and know it better than I do. uh, Let us know. But some conventions use Bourneau's rules. Some use Robert's rules. Some leaders say they use their own rules. So I can get a convention and be like, we're following Balducci's rules. Uh, some <laughs> use parliamentary procedure. So the rules of order can differ. Um, I've, I've been lucky enough to chair, you know, QP Ontario conventions.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: when I chair a convention, I go in the order of pro, con, pro, con. But every chair has their own style and flavor on so many things.
2: Ah, I mean, I think it's most fair to go pro con pro con to avoid bias and speaking of points. Um, A point is a point of order or point of privilege. How did they do that in a virtual setting?
1: Yeah, so it was actually pretty neat. They had, like, at the CLC, they had a special drop-down for points that delegates could select. Um, A point of privilege is just something that prevents or diminishes you from being able to participate, uh, while a point of order objects to the incorrect procedure that's being used. And people love to
0: use those incorrectly (laughs) or to get a point across they think it's just like a point of their own like personal privilege which um once again chairs have their different flavors on how they address that
2: Ah, and i think we're gonna go get into uh challenging the chair a little (laughs) bit too right
0: yeah definitely uh there were challenges to the chair at the clc convention for sure
1: of course So, like, let's maybe not leave it for later. Like, let's just talk about it now. (laughs) Because, like, I'm dying to spill some of the solidarity, the CLC tea, as we're calling it. Uh, So since this year was virtual, it was actually a lot of fun for me personally to follow the CLC hashtag on Twitter and to read everyone's thoughts.
2: Yeah, I couldn't make it this year, but I did enjoy following along. And Tiffany, I actually saw that your cat is now Twitter famous. How did that happen?
0: (laughs) It It was one of the times that I was the first speaker. Um, I was speaking on an important topic, the climate emergency, but I realized my cat Gravy was super close to my laptop and might actually put her face right in front of the camera. So when I introduced myself, I said, because uh, at conventions, you have to start off by introducing yourself right. um, So, and, and your affiliate. So I said uh, Tiffany Balducci, Durham Region Labor Council president, member of CUPE, she, her pronouns, and I'm here with my cat.
1: Her name is Gravy. So I identified her as well. I laughed out loud so hard when you said that. I was like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. I just like, I started laughing. I think I even texted you and was like, hello, Gravy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I retweeted a Gravy tweet. Uh, one of my favorite tweets was from Suzanne Skibmore and it said, hashtag CLC 2021. Anyone else for cheering for an appearance from Tiffany Balducci's cat Gravy? I'm sure someone had that on their bingo sheet great job on the mic (laughs)
0: yeah that was so fun to read yeah and the clc actually tweeted out uh tiffany balducci's cat trending on the hashtag clc 2021 thread hashtag defining the future so i joked that gravy was listening to the resolutions uh To bring to her own CLC convention, the Cats of Labor convention.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's creative. That's too awesome. Gravy got her 15 minutes of fame then. I also saw so many other tweets under those hashtags, actually. One of the popular tweets I read was from my former labor studies professor, Larry Savage, also known as at prof underscore savage. He actually spoke about a delegate from QP and included pictures. I saw he tweeted hashtag CLC 2021. QB delegate objects to abuse of power by chair for weighing in on a debate in violation of the rules.
0: Yeah, Larry always covers the conventions in a very detailed way on Twitter, so he's a great person to follow.
1: Yes, so that was the first challenge to the chair. Um, So it happened within the first hour or so of convention beginning. Um, What happened was that a delegate made a motion to extend the portion of the agenda that covered emergency resolutions by a half an hour. And a few delegates spoke at con or pro mics, but then Hassan Youssef, who was chairing, spoke against the motion just before he called for a vote. So then Leela, the QP Ontario Women Committee's chair, challenged him. Wow.
0: Yeah, and that was quite the situation in itself. Because once a chair is challenged, they are supposed to pass the chair over immediately, like step right. down. Supposed and that didn't, to. Yeah, that's what's supposed to happen. And that didn't <laughs> happen. Uh, but somehow Layla was removed from the point mic after her challenge. So she like disappeared off the screen. And Hassan didn't pass the chair over. And just was like, nope, that's that's not correct. And so QP Ontario President Fred Hahn actually went to the point mic right after and had to explain to Hassan That being challenged means that you hand the chair over and deal with the challenge. And it was only after Fred spoke up did the chair step away. And then Layla was brought uh, forward or back in to uh, explain the reason why she was challenging the chair and the challenge was dealt with.
2: Wow. Go Layla and Fred. I wonder who else had that on their (laughs) CLC bingo sheet. (laughs) Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) So ultimately, the convention delegates decided to uphold the ruling of the chair. But still, yes, way to go, Fred. Way to go, Leela. Like, fantastic. Always for holding people accountable. Mm
2: -hmm. I've actually also heard about some post-CLC drama about Hassan as well. Yeah, yeah, there's Mm -hmm. been a
1: bit uh hmm. okay so near the end of the convention there was a debate happening over a resolution calling on the clc to reaffirm its connections to the ndp which we literally just heard about earlier in this podcast how strong ties we have like the clc has to the ndp
2: right so during being a founding the- member
1: <laughs> yeah i mean you know that's kind of an important I feel, just myself personally, I feel like perhaps it was an important resolution. Uh, So anyways, during the debate, a delegate called a point of order. This person then went on to say that the resolution actually contradicts the CLC's constitution regarding political independence. Hassan then upheld this point. The question was called, but the delegates ended up passing the resolution to continue the NDP connections. The vote was uh, 1491 to. 1098. Wow. Wow. Pretty
2: close, actually. Yeah, that does seem pretty close. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. And then the, the fact that Hassan upheld the point was suspicious, especially because of those ties that the NDP and the CLC have, Um, but there have been many rumors about how Hassan was in line for being appointed to Senate by the liberal government. So,
0: there's yeah. that. yeah, definitely. There's been an, there has been an open secret in the labor movement for quite some time that Hassan was waiting for a Senate appointment, uh, even though he wouldn't speak to it publicly or kept denying it. We all knew it. I mean, speaking for myself only, but circles that I kind of have spoken with as well. Um, we just knew it was just a matter of time. Uh, we've also seen him be pretty friendly with the liberals while in office, cozying up to Bill Morneau and Chambers of Com- Commerce, and and you know some unions support that. Uh, they they say we need to be friendly to the current government to make gains for our members, and and some unions are critical, saying the liberal liberal government has failed workers uh, time and time again. And then also you know the connection to the NDP we discussed earlier.
1: Yeah, and so. So then the CLC ended on Friday, June 18th. So it was over on the Friday. We all went, did our own thing on the weekends, log into Twitter on Tuesday, uh, June 22nd, and it's announced that Hassan was appointed to Senate by Justin Trudeau.
2: Wow, that's a pretty quick retirement. I guess we'll have to see what happens with Hassan in that position now for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh,
1: won't we ever. Yep.
2: (laughs) I also heard that QB also had some other really great moments during the convention. I read another tweet by Larry Savage about our Secretary Treasurer Candace Rennick. It said, QB Ontario's Candace Rennick argues that we need more than lobbying to win economic justice for women workers in one of the most passionate speeches yet at CLC 2021.
0: Yeah, it was so amazing. I mean, it's always great to hear what Candace has to say, but honestly, her speech was probably one of the most memorable ones for sure.
2: Oh, it absolutely
1: was. Yeah. And, and also, Tiffany, you were a panelist on the Good Jobs Agenda. I, I don't know how we haven't mentioned that until now. <laughs> I actually watched that whole thing. You did a phenomenal
2: job. So, yay. <laughs> yay. Awesome. That's amazing, Tiffany. And I'm so sad that I missed uh, both your panel and Candice's speech.
0: I think my panel still exists on... Uh not to like, you know, to do some shameless self-promotion, but No, go for I, it. I think it <laughs> exists for, on the CLC it. Facebook page. It's actually a really good panel. And I was, I was surprised to be asked. Um, it was a pleasure to speak on the work that Durham Region Labor Council and Good Jobs uh, Green Jobs Oshawa has has done to propose a truly just transition in Oshawa. Uh, that creates good jobs and tackles the climate emergency and we'll definitely have to keep this in mind for a future podcast subject because I have a lot to talk about on, on subject matter around the climate emergency and green jobs.
1: Yeah yeah definitely no, that's, yes we need to somebody needs to write that down so we don't on forget <laughs> add it to our list. Um, we also had a QP member offer for an executive position and I know we kind of talked about it a little bit but maybe we'll get into that a little bit.
0: Yeah, well, when it came to the executive, there were two slates. A slate is um, for people that aren't in the know. It's kind of like if there's a group of people running together for office, it's called a slate. So there were actually two slates offering for the CLC uh, positions this year, the executive positions. One slate was called Labor Forward. So Julius uh, Ascot was offering for president. Harold Marcotte was offering for secretary treasurer. Then Jenny Esnard and Sandra Griffith Bonaparte were offering for two executive vice president positions.
1: And then the other slate was called Team Unite. And on that slate, offering for president was B. Brusk. Um, Lily Chang was offering for secretary treasurer, and she was the CUPE member I was talking about. She's from CUPE Local 79 in Toronto. And then uh, Siobhan Vipond, who was offering for the executive vice president position. Uh, But there's two executive vice president positions and Larry Rousseau, he was not a part of Team Unite, but he was offering for the other executive vice president position.
2: Awesome. Well, on behalf of Brittany, Tiffany, and myself, we just want to congratulate Team Unite and Larry for capturing over 80% of the vote and being elected as the new CLC executive.
0: Yay. Yes, definitely. Congratulations. We cannot wait to see where this new team takes the CLC over the next coming years.
1: Yeah. And I think that this is actually the perfect time for us to introduce our guest.
2: Next, we're so very pleased to introduce our guest on today's QBcast, Lily Chang. Lily is the secretary treasurer with the Canadian Labour Congress, just elected this past June. Lily is a long-serving executive member of QB Local 79, QB's largest local representing 20,000 municipal workers at the city of Toronto. Lily is a strong advocate for fairness and has years of experience when it comes to managing the books. Lily was treasurer for Local 79 for 13 years, and she has also served as an elected officer of the local, focusing on member advocacy and grievance resolution. Lily is also on the executive board of the Toronto and York Region Labor Council, chairs the Municipal Committee, and is the executive liaison to the Women's Committee. Welcome, Lily, and congratulations on your new position.
3: Thank you very much, Elise. No worries. Thank you for this opportunity.
2: Yeah, Um, so I first actually wanted to start off just by asking you a bit about um, what was it like being at local uh, QB Local 79?
3: Well, you know, uh, I was a member of Local 79, still am a member of Local 79 uh, since 1989 when I uh, got a job there at the City of Toronto um, working as a caseworker for social services and uh, within a short time... um, You know, I found out that um, members are very unhappy about a huge wage discrepancy between the city and the provincial workers. So I, along with some other workers, we organized and we, uh, you know, we ended up uh, forcing the employer to give us a labor management committee and our uh, union to give us a social services committee so that we had a voice in um, the process. And it was because of that work that I got the attention of the executive. I then was asked to sit on the wage harmonization committee following the um, amalgamation of the city of Toronto and, um, and then uh, was asked to run for treasurer uh, in 2005. So um, I've had a lot of years with Local 79 and uh, I really do think of it as my home local.
2: That's amazing. Thank you so much for all of your work, Lily. Um, Also, uh, since you were recently started working in office at the CLC, I wanted to just go back a few weeks ago to the uh, Canadian Labour Congress Convention. Um, I wasn't at the convention, but I did hear about a comment that was made by the other person running for secretary treasurer. um, And they mentioned that you had been groomed for this position for the last year. And a delegate had made a point on how the comment is very misogynistic, which I can definitely see. What's your take on this?
3: Well... It certainly caused a lot of reaction from many delegates, and you know, some who reached out to me by phone and social media, and of course, you know, including my QP sister who made the point at convention. But hey, you know, this was not the first time that my hard work and qualifications have been undermined or dismissed by a man, and you know, I feel that my record with Local 79 speaks for itself. I can tell you that I'm proud to have earned the confidence of the membership. And I'm excited to join such a strong team of women and racialized workers who constitute the most diverse leadership team the CLC has ever seen. You know, I, I'm a positive person and I don't really want to dwell on the negative. I value the contributions of others to our movement. And I believe that we need to build our movement by mentoring and inspiring others. I'm very fortunate to say that I've benefited from the mentorship and support of many people during my many years of union activism. You know, the best of us are not ambitious for personal reasons, we answer the call of duty, and this year the CLC is a unique moment, we have three new officers, we have incredible mobilizing capacity, and we plan to use it to advance workers issues during the federal election.
2: Well, I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that, Lily. I know that misogyny and racism in union spaces is incredibly harmful. But as you mentioned, let's move on from this. And I was hoping we could talk a bit about union rating. And for folks who don't know, union rating is when an outside union tries to take over the membership base of a workplace with workers who are already unionized. Lily, can you let us know why union rating is problematic and how the CLC plans on fighting back against union rating from happening?
3: Well, you know, uh, at least you're right. Union rating goes against everything that unions stand for, and there's no place at all for it in our movement. It's a huge blow to solidarity in the labor movement. You know, today we're in a time when the gig economy is plunging workers into precarity. And, you know, when private long-term care workers and warehouse workers are facing deplorable safety conditions, and we have all sorts of workers who are being exploited. So this is a time for work unions to be working together to organize the work unorganized and not to go after each other's members. What we need to do is extend union protections to every worker and raise a bar for their families. This is the most important principle of the labor movement. And I believe it is a solidarity between unions that is our greatest strength and that will attract unions to the House of Labor
2: that's awesome well thank you so much lily for sharing the clc's plan i also know there's been some unions over the last few years um such as Unifor and teamsters who left the clc is there a plan to rebuild these relationships and recruit and recruit these unions back
3: of course uh, we are committed to uniting the house of labor but that unity must be founded on the principle of solidarity and over the coming months you know we plan to reach out to each and every affiliate to the congress labor councils, provincial or territorial federations to seek to re-engage them in a meaningful way as we chart our course for the labor movement. We've already begun reaching out to unions that are not affiliated to find common cause and a commitment to solidarity so we can grow a stronger movement. The disputes that led to Uniform Teamsters leaving happening happened in the past. And you know we can't prevent them from happening ever again. But when unions seek to organize the members of another union, The CLC has a mechanism for investigating and resolving the dispute, and sanctions are imposed as a last resort. It was these kinds of disputes that caused those divisions with Teamsters and Unifor. But, you know, it's clear to me that we can bring every union into the fold by proving the value of solidarity and keeping that principle at the center of everything we do.
2: Thanks Lily. I definitely agree. I think it'll be a bit of work to get Uniform and Teamsters back into the CLC, but it's definitely worthwhile to bring them back into the house of labor. So thank you. Um, and with that being said, I'd love to hear more about the plans and the priorities that the new CLC team has for the next three years. Well,
3: we only have a two-year term unfortunately due to the pandemic and oh. postponement of our last convention. So much shorter time. Now of course, you know, we need to follow up on the resolutions that delegates passed at convention. And you know, we've talked earlier about wanting to continue to build a house of labor to bring in new affiliates and bring back ones that have left. And you know, secretary treasurer, um, I wanna put a plan in place to get our financial house in order so that we have the resources to support the priorities of our membership. But one of the first priorities is the upcoming federal election. This federal election will give us an opportunity to set the priorities For an economic recovery that takes care of workers and their families. And while we don't have a date, it's clear that Canadians will be going to the polls before the end of the year, maybe even, you know, shortly after Labor Day. And in this election, workers' issues have to be front and center. Issues like paid sick leave and universal pharmacare, affordable childcare, you know, better health care and a stronger social safety net. And we also need bolder climate action and a sustainable recovery. You know, I've been really disgusted to see the number of employers that are plotting frontline workers, but not providing fair wages, paid sick days, and workplace protections. It's hypocrisy at its worst. CEOs like Galen Weston, for example, have earned record profits while the grocery store workers who kept our cupboard stock during months of isolation had their wage premiums clawed back. And companies like Amazon that built a delivery model that undermines small businesses and postal services and workers' rights. And not only did they block union protections, but their warehouse workers have been ravaged by COVID outbreaks. It just makes my blood boil. So it's time to tax them. You know, they profited during the pandemic, let them pay for the cost of recovery. So, you know, the CLC has been preparing for this and has built some incredible online tools organizing and connecting with literally hundreds of thousands of people and you know we have the potential to engage all 3 million union members we plan to match the online air war with a ground game that will see us mobilizing in communities across the country to convince voters to cast a ballot for workers issues but we can't do it alone you know so we'll be calling on every affiliate to organize their members and to concentrate our efforts on the tightest races where organized workers can decide the
0: vote.
2: Well, that sounds super exciting, Lily. I'm definitely looking forward to the upcoming uh, federal election campaign. And that brings us to the end of our interview. It was an absolute pleasure meeting you, Lily. Thank you so much for being on the QBcast. Everyone can check out the Canadian Labour Congress on Facebook at facebook.com slash clc.ctc and on Twitter and Instagram at Canadian Labour. You can also follow Lily on Twitter at Lily4Workers. Thank you, Elise. Have a great day. Thank you. So thank
1: you so much, everybody, for tuning into QPcast. And once again, thank you to Lily Chang for joining us. We could have gone into way more detail about conventions, but we really want to keep this topic as broad as possible. Um, If you're looking to attend a union convention, please have a look at your own local's bylaws um, or the organization that you're with just to see how you can become a delegate.
2: We hope you had fun joining our conversation and spilling a bit of tea. We encourage you to check out the Twitter hashtag from the CLC convention to recap what went down on Twitter. It was mentioned before, but there were two. So there is hashtag defining the future and hashtag CLC 2021. Also, you can still check out the CLC convention info on their webpage. Many have said that the virtual platform was really well done, and I encourage listeners to check out the CLC's Delicate Guide, as they they had some excellent information on participating in conventions, why it's important to share pronouns, um, which we shared on our last episode, and more.
0: Yeah, and if you have ideas for future podcasts, please email us at info at qp.on.ca, We, of course, want to give a special shout-out to our producer, Mohamed Akbar, for his talent in making this podcast sound amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And to Liam Bedard and staff at Keeping Ontario for promotions and making this podcast come to life. Stay tuned for our next podcast, where we will have lots of fun talking about how unions have been portrayed in movies, books, and more. Super excited for that topic. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yes, getting some more pop culture into the podcast for sure. (laughs) So thanks everyone for listening. Sending solidarity.